0: Welcome to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. My name is Tim Hoff. I'm a professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California. I'm also the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, where we try to reinstill a sense of civility, decorum to our public disagreements. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Rick Langer. Rick, one of my favorite segments that we do on this podcast is called Reports from the Front. And by that, we mean... There are a ton of people doing exactly what we've been trying to advocate and it's always a delightful surprise to run into these people and I recently ran into our guest at a conference <laughs> did he recover from the collision he did he, did. he recovered <laughs> okay good but but we, we struck up this conversation and as he was talking, I was like, are you kidding me please be on our podcast and he has graciously agreed to do so so why don't you introduce us? to who's going to join us today. Yeah,
1: so thanks, Tim. Uh, And Dan Broyles, uh, he spent a good season being a care pastor at Valencia Hills Community Church and has been working at churches uh, since 2002. And I think he still is at uh, Valencia Hills. But he previously was a social worker with the county of Los Angeles, and he worked with children who were abused and neglected. Has an MS in marriage and family therapy and also a BS in biblical studies and uh, human and family development from Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska, which, by the way, I have visited and spoken at, Dan, so <laughs> I, I know that institution. Um, good, to, good to have you with us, and by the way, in 2019, we hear you were the recipient of the Catherine Barger Commitment to Service Award for L.A. County, and in 2022, the recipient of Citizen of the Year for the United States by the National Association of Social Workers, so wow, uh, great to have you, and thank you so much for joining us, Dan.
2: Yeah, well, thank you guys just for having me, and thanks for your uh, your guys' passion to make a difference with uh, people out there.
1: So let me just begin by asking, you You used to be a social worker, now you're a pastor. Does the world look differently from those two seats? Or are there things that really seem different or importantly different? Talk to us a bit about that transition.
2: Sure, sure. So I I did social work for for almost 10 years, and one of the things I loved about that that I don't get as much, I would say, as a pastor, is I would actually go into people's homes Uh and interview them about how they're really doing. And I feel like you get to really know people on a more personal level. When you sit down with families in their apartment, in their home, and talk about how they're really doing, what's going on, and in my role as social worker, even talk about family secrets so mm-hmm. yeah in a sense so that, you're
1: paid to talk about those right yeah, mean, that's yeah, why yeah, you're yeah. there yeah
2: yeah yeah versus you know at, at church it feels like it, it can take it's, it takes longer to get to what's really going on sometimes in the walls of a church sometimes people sometimes obviously not always tell me what i want to hear once in a while but when you go to people's homes and you ask the 10 year old hey tell me how your parents <laughs> get along they'll, they'll, they're pretty honest
1: yeah <laughs> and so what led you to make the transition what, what were the things you made to think Yeah,
2: so I, I, I loved my role as a social worker. I loved stepping into those places. I actually enjoyed that job. But the home church I was at at that time asked me to transition to help kind of co-start a, a care slash kind of counseling ministry. And it was at my okay. home church that I had grown up at. And I'm like, and I get to help kind of develop it and start it from scratch. And I, I couldn't turn that down. It was in my <laughs> own area. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to jump in that and see, see what happens. And it kind of just took off. And I, I, I've been blessed to kind of do both worlds, being part of both worlds.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So let me just pick up one thing that I think got Tim and I so intrigued by your story. Uh, it seems like there's kind of a common perception today that there's this sort of unrelenting conflict between church and state. And when we talk about kind of the separation of church and state, that that's kind of a good phrase, because it feels like there's like a DMZ between the two. Um, you know, send them to the neutral corners and stop the fight kind of a a situation. Um, But it seems like your encounter between government and the faith community was really different. Uh, It seems like you were someone who kind of viewed the gap between the two as an unfertilized field that could stand some cultivation and plant some seeds and produce a flourishing crop. Uh, So tell us some of the story about how all that developed.
2: Sure, sure. So actually, it actually started with L.A. County Board of Supervisors Hmm. of all groups, which I would not describe as a religious group (laughs) at all. Okay. No, it's good to clarify.
1: We were wondering, so thanks. Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, about four or five years ago, I think 2018, they actually uh, established a motion that the Department of Children and Family Services for LA County um, was going to start this motion basically to work better with the faith community. They realized that they needed more support and more resources. There's a lack of foster homes out there and the needs were off the charts because LA County DCFS is the ch- largest child welfare system in the country. Wow. And they were they were just looking at what other ways can we support these families and they have not done a good job of tapping into the faith community. So they started this this motion and then one thing led to another and about a couple years after that I was asked to co-chair this project for LA County and help kind of bridge the gap between social services and the faith community.
1: So, so tell us about the project. How, how has yeah. this unpacked? What what have what's kind of emerged out? Yeah. of
0: Yeah. And can so, I, Dan? Can I just say something real quick that I I thought of while you were talking about this. One, how amazing! I, I would never look at L.A. County. We're here in L.A. County at Biola University. I, I would never think that they would ever do something like that. Reach out and say, listen, let's, let's learn from each other and utilize each other. There's a man named Robert Wuthnow who talks about loose connections, which means we don't need to marry each other. We don't <laughs> need to, to, to agree on all points in order to form a loose connection for a social good. And I think what a beautiful expression of a loose connection that was fostered by LA County's initiative towards a faith community. I think that's just a beautiful example and one that gives us uh, encouragement that maybe the culture war isn't as nasty as we thought it was.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's been amazing because now in every DCFS office throughout the county, I think there's about 20 or so of them, there actually is a faith-based liaison. Now, that's part of their job description. <laughs> Wow. It's actually part of their job description. And that's their job is to, to to collaborate. And what happens is the worlds are so far apart. It's like two radically different cultures that don't talk with each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I have an example of this. So in my home uh, town of Santa Clarita, there's an office about two miles uh, from where I'm at. And then they're, you know, they have about 250 employees or so. On the same street, a mile away, is a church um, that has a large foster care adoption support group. And I think if all of them are there, there's about 70 people, part of this, both the kids and the parents. Wow. Most of the social workers don't even know that that support group exists.
1: So they can't even refer people to it or whatever, people who would be well, of faith or whatever they-
2: they're, 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 They'd they be willing to refer to it, but they didn't even know they exist yeah. because yeah. They're, yeah. It's, it's like two different cultures, like the other side of the kind of railroad tracks feeling, and they don't even know what's going on. And so my part of my role is to go, hey, social workers, do you realize there's a resource that could help your families that's a mile away from your mm. office? And they're like, oh, really? Oh, we had no idea. And so I get to help kind of bridge some of those gaps and one of the great things that I've found, and this is what I, I say all the time when I talk to social workers, administrators, I say, do you realize there's a lot of stuff we can agree on? Mm, and I'll yeah. get some surprised looks at first. They'll be <laughs> really surprised. They were not expecting that from a pastor type. And I'll say, I, we all want less kids in foster care. We want stable homes. We want less kids abused. We want kids to have a sense of community. We want solid foster homes. Who doesn't want that for their community? whether it's a religious group, a church, or uh, LA County, that's best for everybody. Can we agree on that? Hmm. And that's my starting place that let's start with what we can agree on and start from there with these loose connection that you were just mentioning. And let's see what happens if we can agree on that, which that's pretty easy to agree on.
0: Yeah, you'd be worried if someone couldn't agree with that. Yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. And you found
0: that 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 they're receptive. I'm I'm thinking of John Gottman who says, listen, the first 30 seconds of a conversation establishes the entire tone of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So what a great soft startup to say, listen, I I think we have common values. So you have found this to be effective as an opener?
2: Absolutely. I'm like, who doesn't want that? Mm. Uh, And the, the other thing that, I, I think i been able to, to convey is really care for what they go through to interview children day after day regarding abuse and neglect is, yeah. is really tough. Mm. Uh, the emotional wear that. and tear is challenging. And just having compassion for that is one of my uh, other starting places to be like, oh, man, that that's rough. I hear you. And I'm glad someone else do, is doing that. Yeah. Someone someone's doing that, stepping in those those really those trenches.
1: I hear that you uh, started an actual training class yeah. for the Los Angeles County social workers uh, about yeah. uh, you're working with religious clients. Tell us, how's that gone? What do you talk about, actually? And, and-
2: sure. So one of the things I've been doing, and I'm actually going from office to office. I, I just just booked one, one for next month. It's, and I'll have anywhere from 10 to 100 social workers at a time. Oh. And I'll have an hour. With that's them. an audience.
1: And, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I'm
2: basically joining their staff meetings, and I'll say, "Let's talk about how to deal with religious clients, because most of them have had training in uh, multiculturalism, but in regards to issues of faith, that's so sensitive they avoid it. <laughs> so one of the things I'll say to them, I said, it was actually be it would be actually be unethical if a social worker was unwilling to address multiculturalism in their job.
1: Hmm.
2: And they all, of course. I said, well, why would we avoid um, people's religious and spiritual beliefs? We have, we're supposed to help the whole person. And then I get their attention. Yeah, And, and what what i found is people are so afraid of that separation of church and state language, or even some of the, I would say, younger social workers are so afraid of offending someone from a different religion that it doesn't get brought up. And what I end up talking to them, I said, what I want you to do is not impose faith on people, but utilize the faith they already have. Hmm. And yeah. I said, here's a way to go about that. Just ask them, have you or any one of your extended family members utilized faith in a positive way over the years?
1: What a great That's a question. question
2: you can ask any client. Yeah. That's not That's not proselytizing. That's not saying you better go believe in my God. Just ask that question. And then if they say yes, how do you reinforce that and actually encourage that in a way that helps them? Because the research is really clear that uh, stuff's been done at a Columbia University, Harvard, that says higher levels of spirituality leads to higher levels of resiliency. Yeah. And I said, why wouldn't you want more resiliency for your families? And this is the most undertapped resource for your families from the social work perspective. It's not tapped into very much at all. Do you so get let's... push
0: do you get pushback? Does anybody none.
2: none. I have not had a single person push back when I talk like this. Because what I end up doing is whoever's like the the most in charge in the meeting, the higher up the administrator, I just ask them on the spot, is there anything I'm saying so far that goes against county policy? And they say no. As long as you ask and you're not imposing, You're good to go. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So one of my favorite authors recently is a a woman named Dr. Lisa Miller. She wrote uh, some stuff that's really just kind of fascinating. And there's even talk now about high levels of spirituality in teenagers is positively helping with brain development. Mm. Um, And the other thing she talks about is, and she's not a Christian she's just talking about faith in general. She says, if a teenager, um, only puts their hopes in their dreams, you're setting them up for more problems because how many adults out there who are now, let's say 40, 50 years old would say all my dreams came Came true. true. Yeah. And you would say very little, very little. So she says, what, where do they go as a resource when the dreams don't come true? And she goes, if they don't have resiliency, there's going to be higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety. And why wouldn't we want a greater resource for our young people?
0: Dan, can I make a communication point as I listen to this, is how often do we psych ourselves out of a conversation before ever having it? Mm -hmm. Like saying, listen, for me to bring up my faith is going to offend this person. Or this yep. person's going to give me pushback. Or it's going to cause a rift between us. And, and thus, we never bring it up. And, yeah, and we never go there. Yeah, we never go there. And what I love is that you go there. And I imagine you would have appropriately reacted if you would have gotten you know, pushback. Mm-hmm. But, but to receive none is to continue providing this resiliency argument with faith. And so I just love the fact that maybe sometimes we have so bought into the argument culture that we're afraid to even even have any kind of a soft start up to see what a person's reaction would be
2: yeah absolutely absolutely there's these preconceived fears that get in the way of connection yeah and I'll be in a you know a meeting with fifty people and i I'd say to them so. I wonder what it would be like to hand, like, encourage your families just to have more resiliency. So, another example I use in the training that I think really kind of throws them off, but in a good way, is I'll I'll say to them, "Let's say you're uh, talking with some grandparents who are raising their their fourteen-year-old uh, grandchild, and the social worker notices that this grandchild has high high levels of anxiety and in the social worker's opinion, it'd be really good to for the grandparents to take this grandchild to see a psychiatrist for possible medication for the anxiety. But the grandparents are resistive, and they just want to send their kid to church and pray about it. What do you do? Because mm. every social worker's had those type of conversations. Sure. And at, most of the time, the social workers will tell me, well, I think you just need to educate the grandparents about mental health and just educate them. And I said, I'm all for for education. I said, but how well does that go? And you'll get a lot of silence like, well, (laughs) it doesn't go well. And I said, you'll end up having a power struggle between their God and your view of mental health. Hmm. And you're setting yourself up for a power struggle. And there's already some antagonism because they work for the government. That's already a sensitive issue. And I said, what if you connected before you try to correct? I love that phrase, connect before we correct. I said, what Mm -hmm. if you say, before we talk about mental health and getting some professional help, can you just tell me why your faith is important to you? Can I hear why prayer means something to you? Can you do that as a social worker? Just connect, just like you would do with their culture. If they came from a a different culture than yours and you said, hey, tell me about what it means to be and fill in the blank with your culture, you're just being curious. And curiosity and listening doesn't equal agreement. What would happen if you listen for a while and just heard out how they're doing and what they view, and they go, "Oh, that might be helpful." <laughs> and then, and then I'd say, depending on what you know, flavor of faith, I said, whether they're a Christian, Catholic, Mormon, whatever their kind of flavor of faith is, why don't you ask permission and say, "Hey, can I reach out to your religious leader to see if they have any recommendations?" for a licensed uh, individual to get help for your 14-year-old. And they the grandparents say, sure. You reach out, call that priest, that pastor, that bishop or whatever. Hey, do you have any recommendations? And the pastor says, sure. You go back to the grandparents and say, hey, I talked to your pastor. They uh, suggested this person. What do you think about your grandson seeing this person to get some possible help or to assess for mental health issues? And the grandparents say, sure, because they respect our faith. I said, now you're actually on the same square trying to help that teenager instead of two separate squares having antagonism it, just because you joined them instead of, and you were curious and you just listened. So these are the kind of conversations I'm having all the time with the social workers. And I've, I literally had a social worker the other day said, I've been doing this 20 years and this is the first time I've heard this.
1: Wow. I, and um, I can imagine, as you say that I, I'm going in, and, and I think it is part of this issue of we've, kind of viewed the the gap between church and state, between the faith community and the things that government does, as being so vast that no one even has an imagination for crossing it. Right. And that's yeah, really it's, sad. It's,
2: it's almost, it, it's really like this idea that we can't even have a talking relationship. I'm not talking about endorsement. I'm just saying have a talking relationship. That's not okay. good. And I still have not met, I don't think, one person in all these trainings who said, oh, I've also been trained about this. This is the first, and most, many have been there 10, 20 years.
1: Yeah, and which is so striking when you think about that, that they haven't even had the training. When you do the training, you get absolutely no pushback and a lot of benefit. You know, the, the people mm-hmm. say, "Yeah, this this works," and it, it really is sad. Uh, um, though I'm wildly encouraged to hear you able to do it.
0: And I, Dan, I love uh, I love that phrase. I just literally wrote it down because I'm I'm working on a book project. And I'm going to use it and footnote you. But to, co- but to connect before you correct, if you look at the argument culture, it is almost inversed. Absolutely. The first thing I do is correct you, and then maybe we have a connection. But the connection is not as important as my correction.
1: Well, yeah, mm-hmm. or even we correct instead of connecting, almost right? intentionally with yeah. no plan for connecting. We just want to mm-hmm. correct and dismiss. Well.
2: I found that phrase. It actually came from a woman named Karen Purvis, who kind of coined that phrase, and I use it all the time, even in, um, you know, parenting oh or any other relationship. I'll I'll say to a parent, let's say your, you know, your sixteen year old says, "I want to buy the hundred thousand dollar car. What do you think? Can you give me the down payment for it, or pay the bill for me?" <laughs> and the parents thinking, oh, "That's ridiculous." Yes, yeah. I tell the parent you're afraid that listening equals agreeing why don't you say hey what kind of car would you pick out if we could (laughs) because what happens is if you cut that child off right away the child will stop dreaming out loud with you wow they'll only then dream out loud with their peers and not with you and this can happen in marriage this can happen in parenting or in uh, you know working relationships with the government and
0: church That is so good. I had a, a friend of mine who's a child psychologist, and, and Noreen and I, like every parent, were just wondering how much we messed up our kids and you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And this child psychologist said to us, he said, here's the general one rule of parenting. And we're like, okay, we're writing this down. And he said, keep the lines of communication open. Huh, keep absolutely. Them, keep them open which means you can't fix every problem right away. You can't say everything you want to say because you're sending that child underground and that child is going to have these conversations. The question is just with whom? So I, I loved that. Keep the lines of communication open. What a great principle for us engaging LA County, engaging churches that believe things different from us is first, keep the lines of communication open and strengthen them. And then you can get to the hard topics.
2: Yeah. And what, what I found also is uh, I've been able to develop relationships on a personal level with some of the administrators. There's one of them in my area. We end up probably going out to lunch every couple months. Mm. And so the, the, where there's relationships, you can trust with something that feels out out, out out of the comfort zone. So what happens is sometimes we'll try things without the depth of the relationship. And then we kind of, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have the roots. And so I always say, I always want to treat people as people first and their title second. Um, <laughs> and I just think that's so vital when you have this this church and state thing. They're, they're people first, their title, whatever their county scary. government job is, is second. And, and, and if we keep that perspective, that just changes everything.
0: Dan, can you be the director of the Winslow <laughs> Conviction Project? Do you, do you have any free time that you can... <laughs> I oh, just think that, that is so good. Um, The two, there's two views of communication that have always existed. One is the transmission view, which we tend to think in a Western enlightenment culture is I I best persuade you with facts, Uh evidence, facts, experts. And then the ritual view has been around longer. And that is, no, a common bond once established opens up the lines of communication. And today Uh we're almost stuck in this transmission view of, clashing worldviews and ideologies that we've kind of forgotten the whole relationship thing that you're advocating, know the person rather than the title.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things we're actually, our church is going to do here in a couple months, we're calling it the SCV Compassion Network. I'm inviting all the relationships we know from social workers to school counselors, nonprofit directors. We're all going to, and some, a lot of care pastors from churches. And I'm, we're going to get in a room And we're going to have no official agenda and we're not going to pass out brochures from our organizations. I'm going to just have them get to know each other as humans and for about an hour. And the purpose is when we're connecting, we respond better to each other when emails pop up or texts come up and, but there's been so much term like turnover in these different industries. There's no relationships that can lead to creative thinking as uh, mutual organizations.
0: Dan, we have 50 million questions for you. And we can we do another segment? Absolutely. Let's do another. An- let's it. do another segment. So you have been listening to Dan Saves the World podcast. <laughs> we just started it right now. No, but Dan, this is so good. I, I hope people are encouraged like we were, because we never get these stories. We never get the positive stories of LA County and religious faith communities working well together. And it is so, I think we need more of these to buttress our hope and our courage to take these steps. So we'd love to do a whole nother podcast with you. So thank you so much for agreeing to join us. You've been listening to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We ask you to check out our website winsomeconviction.com and there you can find a library of our past podcasts and articles that we've written and upcoming events so thank you for tuning in please like us wherever you get your podcasts please just give us a like we greatly appreciate it and thank you for joining us